Good to see you guys. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Good. We're awake. We are alive. Today we are starting a a new series. So we spent the first part of the year going through the Psalms of Ascent. Last week was Easter. And so we're starting today to go through the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles or you're finding it on your phone or tablet or computer or whatever, you can go to the Gospel of Mark. It's in the New Testament. Uh, Starts out in the New Testament. Matthew and then Mark. Okay, so today there's kind of two parts to the sermon that uh, we're going to talk about. The first part is just going to be kind of an introduction. I'm going to talk to the head a little bit, uh, just kind of learning what, what it means, like when it says the gospel according to Mark, like what that even means, why the book was written. And then the second part of the sermon, we're going to talk to the heart a little bit and really get into this, uh, this beginning of um, the good news of Jesus. So as we jump into it, let me, let me pray for us, and then, and then we'll get into the sermon today. Father, thanks for how much you love us. Uh, thanks for your written word, the Holy Bible, where we get to open and learn about you. We get to hear from you. And God, thank you so much for the living word, your son, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and save those that are lost. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, we love beginnings and new things, right? Like how many of us can remember a specific first day of school? Can anybody think back that far for some of us and remember maybe the first day of high school, first day of middle school? Students, you guys like not too long ago, you had a first day of school. You guys remember the first day, what kind of how weird that was and new and anxious and everything with that. Um, what about adults? What about, can you remember like the, the first day on like your first like big person job? Like, remember that? Like when you were like, oh, like I'm an actual adult now. Like I have to go to work every day, right? You remember that first day, what it was like? Or, or uh, those of us who are married, like remember, can you remember the first date that you had with your now spouse? Can you remember that? I'm not saying this to get anyone in trouble. Hopefully I'm, I'm like setting some people up for a win here, okay? So you can remember that. Uh, anybody, like, like we remember first a lot. Like we make a big deal about new, about beginnings, right? I mean, like what's the thing that we say at the beginning of each new year? New year, new me, right? Like that's a motto that we all say. How are those resolutions going in April? Good. Good? Okay, good. Uh, overall, just either like I didn't make them or they're good, right? Like there's the type A people that would rather die than not do it. And then there are people like me who just don't do it, right? Okay. So we like to make a big thing about new. And so the, the reason why I bring that up is because as we go through the gospel of Mark, uh, what it is, uh, it's a guy, Mark, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. He followed Jesus during his ministry on earth. Uh, He was there to see Jesus betrayed by Judas. He was at the Last Supper, and then he became one of the apostles after Jesus has risen from the dead. We, We read about Mark in the Gospel of Acts as he traveled around and started planting churches in modern day Uh, like the Middle East, Northern Africa, and Europe, and things like that. And so the four Gospels, what they are, if you're wondering, we'll get into why it's called, why they call them the Gospels, but if you're wondering uh, what they are, they're basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament are biographies of Jesus. That's what they are. It's a written eyewitness account of the life, the way Jesus lived, the things that he did, the words that he spoke. They are biographies of Jesus, and that's kind of going to be how uh, we're going to, talk about it. So in this biography, Mark's Mark's is interesting uh, because it's shortened, it's a lot of action, and he kind of lays it out like a play. So if you're familiar with like stage theater at all, like it's kind of like that. Uh, The first few verses, you get like the overture, 
Okay, so that's a little bit of musical theater. Anybody know an overture? If you don't, don't worry. Has anybody ever seen Beauty and the Beast, the popular Disney hit cartoon motion picture, Beauty and the Beast? Okay, so you know the opening song that's about Belle? Come on. Yeah, she goes and she buys the bread. Yeah, she does all that, right? Like if you listen to it, she kinda, it kind of gives little hints throughout the song of what the movie's gonna be about, right? Because she gets the book, she opens it up, she says, now here's where she meets Prince Charming, but she doesn't know that it's him till chapter three, okay? So what we get, these first few verses, we're gonna look at today, the first eight verses, is kind of like the overture of the gospel. And then there are three acts in Mark where Mark is kind of answering three questions uh, that anyone who reads this gospel, he's going to kind of lead them to some questions. All right, so the first question is, who is Jesus? And then in the second act, he kind of goes through the question of like, what if Jesus really is who he says he is? All right, so we learned about who Jesus is. Now we have to come to terms with what do we do about it? And then the third one, the third question is, uh, how does Jesus accomplish what he said he's going to do? So those are kind of the three acts. Those are kind of overarching questions and themes we're going to look at over the next like six-ish months that we're going through the Gospel of Mark. So we're starting something. All right, this is not like a commitment. If you have to miss a Sunday, you can watch online and stuff like that. But uh, we're going to be going through basically up until Advent. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. And so as we're we're looking today at the overture, um, let's look at the first eight verses. I'm going to read all of them, and then we're going to go through each one verse by verse. Are we, are we ready? You guys ready? Okay, great. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, or it may say Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So if we're thinking about the beginning, right? We talked about beginnings, things new. The way that that Mark starts his gospel is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. Or your your translation may may say something like the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So so the beginning right here that we get from the get-go, Mark is kind of setting us up to kind of either like know what he means when he says the Messiah, the Son of God, or he's kind of given us a clue of what he's going to try to convince us of. So all four Gospels, those biographies, they were written to convince people of truths. Okay, so, so in our modern day, we write biographies and they just kind of write the facts and they like the backstory, like what was their formative years, what was their family life, things like that. But with Jesus, ancient biographies, you just get, here's what they came to do. That's it. They weren't as, in, in, they weren't as uh, interested in like the psychology and all that kind of stuff that, that we care about. But there's two things, two phrases that Mark uses to describe Jesus that's really important for us 
as we're looking at this like good news, the story of Jesus. Okay, so uh, we're going to get into those. The first one is, your Bible may say Christ or the Messiah. They mean the same thing. Uh, if you want a little Bible nerddom, uh, Christ is the English version of the Greek Christos, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah. All of it means the anointed one, all right, the chosen one. Okay, so, so when, whenever he said uh, the Messiah, he's kind of speaking to like some, some Bible, like Old Testament uh, roots here. Okay, so we're going to play a game we play sometimes in church, uh, Jesus Trivia, where it's like, whose line is it anyways? The points don't matter. So for Jesus points, okay? In the Old Testament, you get one Jesus point if you get it right. Uh, there were three roles in the nation of Israel in the Bible uh, that, that would be anointed, all right? So if you're thinking through the Old Testament, like when could that be? A lot of times that was signified by pouring oil on someone's head uh, because anointed means to choose to lead. What's, what's one way to like make someone look very different in a crowd of people? Pour oil on their head, right? Okay, so can we think of any of these three roles? King, whoever said that, Jesus point for you. Good job. Another another prophet and priest. Good. So whenever Mark says that Jesus is the Messiah or he's the anointed one, that he is the Christ, it's saying that Jesus has come to fulfill all three roles. Okay, so the prophet, uh, the prophet in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible would kind of act as like a lawyer on behalf of God because God entered into a covenant relationship a relationship kind of based on some terms and conditions of faithfulness. And whenever the people of God would break that covenant, they'd break the terms of the relationship, uh, God would send his prophet to kind of hold them accountable to his word. So, so in a way, the prophet was the ones who would come and, and, and recall the word of God to his people and call them back into faithfulness. The priest kind of did like, he kind of represented the people of God to God. So the priest would like go into the temple, uh, the place of God's presence, of his dwelling, and he would offer sacrifices and do the rituals and things like that and, and make right, make sure everything was good on the people's end back to God. Okay, so the prophet would come from God to the people. The priest would go from the people to God. And then the king, in the Old Testament, the king had a really interesting role. In Deuteronomy 17, uh, Almost the end of the law, the, the first five books of the Bible, uh, that are the terms and conditions. Uh, God kind of says like, okay, so I've got a feeling, got a hunch that you guys are going to want a king of your own apart from me. Okay? And he kind of gives them some warnings of how that doesn't work out super well. But then he says, if you're going to choose a king to have instead of me, here the, here's like what they should do. All right? And it's, it's like not at all what we kind of think a king should do. He says, if you have a king, make him the king, anoint them as king. Um, the king should not amass great wealth. Like, don't have a lot of, of money and, and like, like, things to value. Don't build up a great army and become a, a military power. Uh, he says, um, don't uh, sell your own people into slavery. Don't do that. And don't make, like, really unfair uh, trades with other nations. Basically, all you should do is write down a copy of the first five books of the Bible and read it over and over every day so you can help everyone else be wise. So that's all the king was supposed to do, okay? So that's like as you get the stories of the kings in, in the Old Testament, there's always like even the good ones, 
you know, like Solomon. Like we're like, this is the guy. If you know the story of Solomon, God chooses him. God appears to him and says, I'll give you anything you want. And he says, God, I just want, basically he says, I want to know your word really well and I want to be wise. And, and, and so everybody kind of thinks, Israel thinks, okay, this is the guy. Like he's the one who's going to fulfill the law. Like he's not asking for anything. And then the next chapter is how it like goes in order of what the guidelines of Deuteronomy 17 gives. He like amasses great wealth and builds a huge army and trades a terrible trade with Egypt, like gives away basically everything for nothing. And then he like enslaves his own people to build the temple. So he kind of, so like, so all that to say, like, that's what the king, and for Mark to say that Jesus was coming as the Messiah, it was that he was going to fulfill all of those things. He was going to be the one who came on behalf of God, the word to the people to call them back into faithfulness to God. He was going to be the one who would go and offer sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people, making them right, standing before God. And then he was also going to be the faithful king who doesn't amass great wealth, right? I mean, he even said the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He doesn't even have a home, right? He doesn't amass, like, he doesn't build this great military army. He said, man, the son of man could call down a legion of angels to fight his battle for him but he chose not to, right? Jesus fulfilled all of those things as the great king. The second phrase, uh, the son of God that we see, so he calls Jesus the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. The second thing we have to understand is that uh, throughout the Bible, throughout the whole Old Testament leading up to Jesus, the phrase son of God was used for Israel, God's chosen people, whenever they were in a situation where they needed God. Whenever they're called the son of God, it's, it's God saying that he's going to love them as a father. And, but what had happened was they were, they did break the terms of the covenant. They were unfaithful. And so there were times they were wandering in the wilderness. They were waiting to hear from God. There were these uh, like evil, wicked kings who took them into captivity. And, and every time that was the situation, when they needed God to come and work on their behalf, they were Israel, God's people was called the son of God. And so for Mark then to say that Jesus is the Messiah the one who's going to come and, and create the perfect, loving relationship with them, but then also the Son of God, the one who's going to represent the people of God whenever they need him most, here he is. This is it. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. So what we see just in this first verse here is that Mark is preparing anyone who's reading his gospel Anyone who's looking at the Bible here and prepared to go through it, which is what we're going to do, like I said, for the next six months, they're going to come in contact with a Jesus who is offering and beginning a reset. That's what we're, that's what we're getting here. When he says the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the good news about Jesus is that he comes to provide a reset that we all desperately need. Okay, and so we're going to look because... Uh, when Mark kind of says the beginning of the good news, like he says, hey guys, something's about to change. There's a brand new start that's happening. He's inviting us along in this journey. And then he goes into verse two, like it almost feels a little bit like a, like a turn. He says, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So we're about to get, like if we think of a play again, all right, so you're looking on the stage, all right, the play's beginning. 
All right, so, so like if you've ever been to a place sometimes like someone comes out and says, hey, we're about to begin, please like, you know, like any crying babies, take in the lobby. I'm not saying we should do this here. Okay, I'm saying in a play situation because I love babies, like keep them in here, man. Uh, but it's, you know, you give somebody who kind of warns and then the play, you're looking at the screen, that everything's dark, the curtains are down and you hear this voice off stage. Like, like they're, they're giving us a heads up that something is about to start. He says, prepare for the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So this is where like the tension builds. You're like, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Because something big is happening. The paths to the Lord have been made straight. I mean, like that in itself, like we're talking about good news, like that's good news. Like we're prepared for a situation where if, if you look in the verse, in, the chapter in Isaiah that this is referencing, it talks about the valleys rising, the mountains lowering, like it's creating a highway straight to God. It's like, like everybody who would have read that or heard that at the time would have kind of given a sigh of relief and thought like, oh man, like finally, like God's made it possible for it to be easy to get to him. Because there were times where God would have been silent throughout the Bible and in history. It would have said, and there were years where like there was no more prophecy in the land, meaning the word of God wasn't coming to the people. God had now turned, he was turning mountains into highways and valleys into bridges and rivers into streets so that we could see him and go to him. So this is some of the good news. The good news of Jesus that we're getting into today is that the way to God has been made clear. It's been made clear. No more obstructions. No more, I mean, like for, for the people of God, you got to remember this is Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. So these are people who would have thought like, man, this is great. No more animal sacrifices, right? No more priests that have to come between me and God. There's no more veil in the temple where God's presence dwelt. There was a veil there that separated them and his people. And for us, Still good news today that the way to God has been made clear. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no like magic words or incantations. There's no passcode. There's no ethnic, economic, or social standards that you have to meet to come to God. There's no more separation of heaven and earth. There's no more waiting for the renewal and the refreshing presence of God here on earth. There's a direct line, a straight shot from us to God the God who wants us to know him, the God who loves us. That straight shot, that clear path, the one who came to make it straight, he came. He's here, right? He did what he said he did. That's why we celebrated Easter last week because he is now alive and this is good news. So the stage has been set. All right, we're prepared to meet this Jesus, right? The Messiah, the Son of God, and we're prepared to meet this voice crying out in the wilderness the guy and like the stage is set the curtain rises the lights come on and so John the Baptist appeared like, I loved it like it lays it out just like a play it's so good it's like uh, I, I love it so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness just like Isaiah said he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins the whole Judean countryside and all the people went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. So I love it. I love it. It's like uh, Star Wars fans in here. Yes, good. If you haven't watched it by now, then you got time by May fourth. But uh, if you haven't seen Star Wars, here's how every movie starts out. 
is that you get like the big song, like, right? And then there's like the scrolling three paragraphs that catch you up on how the movie's about to start, which normally there's always one person in the room who takes lead, even unasked to read it out loud for everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, there's always that one person. And then after, so after the, after the words go off the screen, every Star Wars movies, the main episodes like start with a spaceship that comes into the screen, right? So this is like kind of what it's like. You get the rolling credits, you get the beginning and everything, but instead of like an Imperial Star Destroyer or whatever it's called, you get this like desert hermit wearing animal clothes. And, that, and that's what you get. Yeah? I mean, look, I mean, the dude's eating, eating locust and wild honey. I don't even know there's a difference in regular honey and wild honey, you know? But here's John, he's eating this, he comes, but John, so like, it's easy for us to look at John and and like think he's just kind of like an eccentric character, but he's actually, he's a lot more than that. I mean, John coming like, I mean, just like Isaiah said, like he was fulfilling prophecy. Like in hindsight, this was probably John coming onto the scene declaring that Jesus was on his way to, his, to begin his public ministry was probably like one of the most significant things Israel had experienced in like 300 years. So, so for John to come onto the stage, uh, he, he comes, he plays this huge role, but um, he does give us some like practical handles for what it means to prepare our way, our hearts, ourselves for the Lord coming in our lives. See, like I said, the, the, I'm, I was going to talk to the head, kind of give us the background, the Bible story of this passage. But John comes and John speaks to the heart. Because what John is doing, John is preparing us for and teaching us how to prepare for the reset that Jesus offers in our lives. And we're going we're gonna to parse that out a little bit more. See, John came, he was doing the same thing all the great prophets of old were doing. Um, Elijah, which is known as like the greatest prophet in Israel's history, he wore the same clothes John's wearing, uh, which, is a, which is a big deal. It's very, very symbolic. Uh, he's coming, and, and what he's doing is he's calling them, when it says that he's calling them preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, what he's doing is that he's telling them that the covenant with God, they need to be restored back to that covenant. He was acting just like one of the prophets of old. So he was calling them, to reset by repentance and by baptism. And so at that time, what repentance is, and still today what repentance is, it is agreeing with God on something. And that's what it is. It's like when you know you're doing one thing, but God says to do it another way, it's agreeing with God that you're wrong and turning and doing it God's way. Yeah? That's what repentance is. So when he's calling them to repent, what he's saying is, hey, Israel, you're, I don't know in that specific context of his message, but he's saying, hey, repent. For the kingdom of God's at hand. So what that means is the kingdom of God, God's reign, is anywhere that God's will is obeyed. And so he's saying, hey, it's here now. So quit doing things your own way and start doing them God's way. Stop trying to take matters into your own hand and give it over to God. And then as he was baptizing them in the Jordan River, that was symbolic of a renewed Israel that was coming into the faithfulness of God. So just a little bit more uh, Bible nerd stuff. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Israel was the promised land that God had, had uh, promised to give Abraham and Isaac and, and, and their descendants and everything. So as Moses led them out of Egypt, before they could cross into the promised land, they had to go through the Jordan River 
and it was a brand new generation that, jo- that Joshua was leading that was a faithful group of people to God. So it was very symbolic for them to go back to the Jordan River and be baptized was them committing themselves once again to a life of faithfulness to God as they entered into this new land that was promised to them. So it was, it was very, very symbolic for them. See, John's ministry for us today still exists because when we read these words of John, repentance and baptism, a, re- a call to renewed faithfulness, a renewed right standing with God, see, John's ministry still stands for us. Because when we hear this story, when we hear the words about the way of God being straight, knowing that God wants to do something new in our lives, I don't know about you, but when I think through that and I read this, like I can't help but want that too. Because it's one thing to like do things on my own power and in my own terms, and it's another thing to do something in the power and presence of God. Right? I mean, Fellowship Asheville, like we say that we exist as a church to create communities where life change is possible. Uh, we try to change our own lives all the time. But typically, if you're like me, that doesn't work out super well, right? Like we just made a joke and laughed out loud about New Year's resolutions, right? Like how's that going? But like isn't there a difference whenever it's God's tangible presence and power in our lives when we meet together on Sundays and we serve our community? Like even gathering together every Sunday morning is becoming more countercultural than we probably understand a lot of times, right? Especially when we have a million great brunch places within five minutes of our homes. <laughs> yeah? Like sweet potato pancakes? Come on. Anyways, that's something about the potluck now. So John, here's the thing. John, he was calling Israel to something then. He's calling us to something today. See, John's ministry calls us to reset. I keep using that word reset because what that means, like I said, when we repent, we agree with God about the sin in our lives, we turn away from it, we go to him. And so repentance, a lot of times for a lot of us, that word can carry a lot of baggage for whatever reason. Um, Maybe that was because you heard it yelled at you a lot as a kid growing up in church. Uh, Maybe it was because someone has used that word before to manipulate you. has used it, uh, some people have used it to, as an outlet for anger and for control. Uh, but when John is saying it, and really all throughout the Bible, repentance is something that has really positive connotations to it. Here's what, here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 3. Uh, he told them, he said, Repent so that times of refreshing may come in your life in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, re- repentance, agreeing with God Doing things on his terms brings refreshing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we take inventory of our hearts and our minds and our bodies to see where sin has taken root, and then we uproot that sin and we confess it to God and we turn to him, it gives a renewal and a reset. See, it renews like our, our closeness to him and we feel and recognize his presence. And we know that in Romans chapter 5, Paul says that, Did you not know that his kindness leads us to repentance? See, a lot of times we think we only have to confess of something when we're caught, right? But but the beauty of it comes from when we already recognize that Jesus has died for our sins and he rose from the grave making new life, new starts, resets possible. 
and we, we recognize the sin, we give it to God, and then we turn from it, we, that refreshing comes. Uh, recently, we've been doing uh, this little like preschool book with, with Cora, our four-year-old, um, and some of the activities are fun. She's learning all her letters and things like that. Uh, but the most frustrating activity for me from preschool until this day right now is the connect the dots, like the numbered connect the dots. Um, because I, like, let's say there's like 50 dots. I get to about 20, and then I'm like, I know where this is going. You know? And I'll like try to do it, and then I'll step back, and I'm like, okay, that's not what it's supposed to be. I don't even know what this is. Yeah? Can anybody relate to this at all? So I have to like get them a racer, and Cora's like, Daddy, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is how you do it. You know? And I'm like erasing. You know? Like, this is, it's fine. So I erase it, and I'm like, 31, 32. You know? And I like have to go all the way, and then it's done, and it's like, oh, like, should have just done that the first time, you know? But I always think I can do it like, like that's kind of what like repentance is. Like when John is calling us to reset through repentance and through baptism, the baptism for Israel was that recommitment to faithfulness. And that's what repentance is for us. It's God, I should have just kept going dot to dot. I should have just kept, you know, but like I just thought I'd figure it out myself. I thought that this way was better. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I know I'm not, but like, you know, and then repentance is kind of that like, okay, Jesus, you've already paid for my sins, right? That's the, Jesus is the erase, Jesus, I, by your blood, you know, you wash me clean. Thank you. Here's my sin. I'm erasing. Okay, back to the dots, right? Like that's, that's what follow, that's that renewed kind of relationship. First John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, repentance is a way that God offers us that reset. It's a gift of grace. It's not God being angry and saying, conform to my ways or else I'm going to like zap you with lightning. It's God saying, no, 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 I've created a way for you to live and flourish. And I've, lived, I've created it. I've made the paths possible to me. They're straight and easy. The yoke of Jesus is easy. There's no need for the burden of sin. I've already done it. See, every time we sin, Here's something, I'm not saying we should sin, okay? So don't hear me out. Read Romans 7 if you think that's where I'm going. I'm not. What I'm saying is every time we sin, it's an opportunity to come back to God. It's an opportunity to be reminded of the good news of Jesus. If you think you've sinned too much and, like, you can't go back now or maybe you've sinned so big that, like, God doesn't want to have anything to do with you or that your prayers won't work or whatever, here's some, like, really helpful words that Mother Teresa said. She said, God is a forgiving father. His mercy is greater than our sins. He will forgive us. God, God didn't send Jesus to die for our sins to not forgive you. Okay? He wants to forgive you. He wants you to come back and reset that faithfulness. So we see how John was preparing us for God to do something new in our lives, for his power and his presence, his activity in our lives to be known, but he also has a message for us. Okay, so let's look at verses seven and eight. Let's look at the message that John gives us. So everybody was coming out to him, and this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, the people of Israel, like, they think John's the guy. He's dressed like Elijah. He's out in the wilderness. He's faithful to God. Yeah, like, he, like he's doing everything right. He's preaching this message of the kingdom. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. Like, he must be the guy. 
And what John says is like, no, no, listen, like, I'm not the guy, right? Like, like you got to wait because the one who is the guy, like, like I'm telling you, this guy's going to be great. Like, he's powerful. He's good. Like, I can't, I'm not even worthy to, like, like touch his dirty feet. Like, this guy's coming so much better. What John is doing is he's telling us the message that there's no substitute for Jesus in our life. No substitute for Jesus. Now, we, now our substitutes probably look a little different, right? We're not going out to some desert hermit, like, thinking that he's our savior, right? But we have, but like in a lot of ways, what John was doing, he was providing content for them that they were taking in and applying it and thinking that like he's the one they should follow. And we do that a lot, right? And, that's, and, and it's okay, like, like we have sermons, we have podcasts, we have great music. Yeah, we have like YouTube preachers and we have Bible studies, we have the Bible, we have all these things. And all these things are important and good, but they're resources and tools to point us to Jesus. And the problem is a lot of times the, co- the content intake that we do can just stop there. And like because of like post-enlightenment thinking, like we think, uh, I think, therefore I am. And like knowledge is power is like kind of how we think. So we think like if I just know enough, then I'll be spiritually mature. And that's just not the case. There's no substitute for that. Because what happens most of the time, there's no substitute for intimacy with Jesus. What happens most of the time is we, we bring in these podcasts, we take in all this stuff, we have our favorite author, I'm, and I'm the same way. Favorite authors, like, like I'm, the, I'm the content guy, you know? Like, I'll listen, anyway, it's stupid how much content I take in. It's not even that helpful at some point. But anyways, you, like, at some point, like, if that becomes the end-all be-all, what happens is we get our favorite authors, our favorite preachers, our favorite whatever, and we end up uh, living off of someone else's spirituality. You know? And that's what, these, that's what everybody was trying to do. They were going out to John thinking, this is it. And John said, no, no, I, I can't be Jesus for you. And a lot of times without realizing we do it, we do it with our parents' faith, maybe our grandparents' faith, right? We have some friends, we're like, well, I go to church with my friend. You know, but it's like, no, no, no. There is no substitute for being with Jesus. Call it what you want, a life of prayer, a life of abiding, walking in the spirit, it's all the same. There's no substitute for that. I'm all about learning, I'm all about that stuff. But there's no, but like Paul told the Corinthian church, he wrote to me, he said, okay, we've been given this foundation, which is Jesus. And everyone builds their life on this foundation. He says, some with gold, some with silver, some with bronze, some with metal, some with hay, some with wood, some with straw. And at the end, when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be revealed. Like it's all, all going to be revealed, whatever they built the foundation, on the foundation. And so for some of us, like we're building our lives on Matt Chandler sermons. And that's okay. But that's not the same thing as Jesus. Yeah? Like some of us are building our lives on like our favorite news outlet. That's what we're building on our foundation. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be revealed for what it is. The way this practically works, anybody read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? It's this great kind of illustration. It's a, it's a short book. It's super fun to read. It's this great kind of allegory and illustration of the difference in heaven and hell. Okay? It's not a biblical the- theology of it, so if you read it, know that. But it is this great kind of picture. And everyone that's, that's in hell, what the book's about is uh, they get on a bus and they go to heaven for a day. And what's interesting, they get off the bus in heaven and they're walking around and like the grass is so dense and full that it like hurts their feet to walk on. 
and like there's a stream of water and they can't even like step in the water and all the people that come that they meet in heaven are so like bright and they're full and they're real to a sense that it's like overwhelming and all the book, they call it the solid people. And so that all I'm doing, I'm bringing up that illustration because that's what it's like when you substitute your personal intimacy with Jesus for someone else's, it's like you never quite build on that foundation with gold or silver, uh, imperishable items. Because when Jesus comes and, it, and, and it's all gonna be revealed, see, it's like this. G, John, what he's trying to say is like, no, no, I'm just a shadow of the one that's gonna come. The real substance, the real thing, he's coming. He's more powerful than I am. His presence, he's gonna be here, just wait. For a lot of us, the reset John calls us to reset by repentance. He also calls us to reset through intimacy and knowing Jesus. Like, if that's why a lot of us find it hard to pray because there's no content that comes out of it, right? How much easier would it be for us to pray if we walked away with like a sentence in our head that God gave us? That'd be so much easier, right? At least to like justify you know, you're like, I'm supposed to spend five precious minutes of my day and I'm gonna get nothing out of it. Like, it's not about content. It's not about what you take in. It's about that intimacy with Jesus. And look what he says in verse eight. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So as we go, as we go through this account of, of Jesus, this biography of Jesus, uh, we're gonna be challenged in a lot of ways because that's kind of what Jesus does. All right, we're gonna be challenged like questions like this. Uh, what do you believe about success? Uh, what is it that you value above everything else? Uh, what do you believe about your value and significance? Uh, what do you believe that you need above everything else? Uh, these are the things that Jesus is going to challenge because look, it says that he's gonna baptize us when the Holy Spirit, see, when, when we meet Jesus, Part of the reset that Jesus offers, we're going to talk about this more next week, but part of the reset that Jesus offers is, is literally a new life where there's only room for him. Like there's only room for his way. Paul wrote in Romans 8, he said, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give new life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. See, when we're baptized by the spirit, like John said, Jesus is gonna do, the life that Jesus came to offer is a life that's given to us that's so full, it's being brought from one reality, which is death and sin to a whole new reality, which is life. So we talked earlier about how baptism was like a, kind of like a symbolic um, picture of a renewed commitment. Uh, but to be baptized with the Holy Spirit means that now you're empowered to live a life by something far greater than yourself, and it's the actual life of Jesus. There's no substitute for Jesus there's only room in the renewed life for Jesus. So as we go through this biography, here's where we're gonna kind of end today. Um, as we go through this biography of Jesus, I'm gonna kind of ask you, first of all, uh, to start considering where are those areas in life that you need a reset? Like you've done everything you can, you've read all the books, 
you, you've, you've tried it all and it's not working. Maybe like it's an, an addiction. Uh, maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's restoring a, a broken relationship or it's a tough family situation. And what I can't do, I can't promise or predict that all of these things are just overnight going to get better. But I do promise that the Jesus that we read about through this biography, you're going to see, is not afraid to get in the mess and he'll meet you there. He'll meet you where you need him. Okay? The Bible tells us that if you draw near to God, that God will draw near to you. What area in your life, what is that thing that you need that reset in? And maybe it's only going to come through repentance. Uh, Maybe it's only going to come through a renewed commitment and living a life in the Spirit. Or maybe it's not like a dramatic Turner situation that you need um, God to do a reset in your life. Uh, Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and like you feel like you've hit a wall in your discipleship. Like you were journeying, you were following Jesus, everything was good. The first few years of being a believer was great, but you kind of feel like you've, you're stuck, like you're spinning your wheels. Uh, maybe the reset needs to be a renewal in your discipleship. Like maybe you're like me and you're in a season where it's like hard. You actually like, I've been in seasons and recently came out of one where like, like, I finally set the time, I get alone with God, I'm like alone in a room, and it's for some reason, it's literally hard to talk out loud to God and pray. Like, for whatever reason, like it feels silly, or maybe it doesn't work, or he doesn't hear me, or whatever. I mean, maybe, maybe that's where you are. Like, you think what's going to happen doesn't happen, and you're talking to God, it's just not going to change anything. Or maybe today, this day as we're talking, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Maybe today's the day where you say, the reset I need in my life is that I need Jesus. Like, I don't know Jesus. I'm hearing you say that the path has been made straight to God. It's through Jesus. I'm hearing you talk about life and grace and goodness and kindness, and I just don't know that Jesus. Well, I would encourage you just just to talk to him and tell him you need him. For all of us, as we're kind of closing today, Uh, wherever you are on your journey with Jesus. Maybe church has been something, and following Jesus has been something you've been a part of for a long time. Uh, Maybe this is all kind of new to you, and this is still kind of weird that we like stand up at some times and sit down, and you don't know the songs everyone else knows. That's okay. Or maybe you're like, hey, I'm I'm not a a Christian. I don't follow Jesus. I'm just here because a friend said they'd take me out to lunch afterwards. Great. Man, we're like, we're all there. but, But for all of us, I'm just trying to call us into a posture prepared to reset our lives following Jesus. And so wherever you are today, I'm going to challenge us over the next week. I'm going to be back up here next week, and so I'm going to ask you, and you can't lie in church, right? But why don't we all take this week just a few minutes, just a few minutes, wherever you are, and just say, Jesus, I love you. I'm sorry where I've sinned but I know you've made it possible for my sins to be forgiven and you forgive me. Give me a reset with you. Just take that time, just those few simple sentences, make it your own words. That's why I didn't put it up on the screen or anything. But let's start there. And then Fellowship Asheville, as we prepare for God to to show us who Jesus is through the next however many months in the Gospel of Mark, let's be prepared to meet Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God who came to seek and save those that are lost. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for how good you are. Jesus, that even though um, we, we do sin, we do mess up, 
that's not the baseline that you use for us. When you see us, you created us and you said that we're very good. Jesus, you loved us enough to come from heaven to earth to to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserve to die. And then you rose from the grave, making it possible for us to have new life and to have your spirit living in us. The same power, the same spirit that rose you from the dead is in our hearts. And so Jesus, as we follow you, as we seek you, as, as we love you, I pray that you meet us there and continue to transform us into your image. Uh, because there's no substitute for that in our lives. Um, It's only you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.